All right, here we are. Hello, everyone. We welcome you back to another edition of Talking Scriptures with Mike and Bryce. I'm joined today by the wonderful and talented Mike Day. My name is Bryce Dunford. We're delighted to be with you today as we jump into the book of Galatians. Um, a very unique book among Paul's writings. And so, Mike, let's start with you. Tell me about the history or the authenticity or whatever you'd like to contribute. Tell me about Galatians, Mike. Okay, well, um, according to you know, scholarship, what we know, this is probably one of the first things written right at the, out the gate in Christianity as the movement goes. And I do want to say that this is Paul at his finest. Pretty much everybody agrees that this is Paul and he's fired up. I, I think it's okay for us to look at this uh, book and say, boy, Paul's angry about some things. He's a little heated in this. Yeah. You foolish Galatians. Yes. So do I keep going? Keep going. Fire away, Mike. <laughs> okay. Well, um, the, the main issue is this. Um, how Jewish do you have to be to follow Jesus? And by that I mean um, Judaism. I, we talked about this last week, but Judaism and Christianity came from the same tree. And so... In this movement, in this Jesus movement, there's a lot of belief that we have to be Jewish to follow Jesus. Jesus was a Jew. There's 613 written, codified rules in Judaism. And Paul's going to use the word circumcision to kind of mean all of that. Right. And so Paul is really, and we'll read this throughout his letters, but he's really frustrated with people that say, I have to be circumcised. And, and that's code speak for I have to live the kosher laws, all the 613 intricate rules. I have to follow this to follow Jesus. And so that's pretty, I mean, if you had one minute to describe Galatians, this is Paul saying you don't have to do that. But he's using very strong language. And the reason behind that is because there's a lot of Christians out there that are saying you have to. You have to do that. I think is that a, a nice intro there? That's a great brief? intro. You know, you can find that in the text. He'll, you know, like in chapter one, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into grace. So you you joined one and then all of a sudden something's pulling you back. Yeah. And you'll kind of find that theme, you know, in verse in chapter four, he says, But now this is verse nine, but now after the ye have known God, or rather that known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements? <laughs> I mean, he's feisty here. Yeah, he's fired up. But they've turned. They've turned back. And then in chapter 5, you kind of get this idea like he, he personifies the pull back to the old ways. And so he says, This persuasion cometh not of him that called you. And then a few verses later, I would that ye were even cut off which trouble you. In other words, those forces that are pulling you, yeah. that are leading you astray, that are teaching you these doctrines, you know, they've pulled you away from something better. And so Paul's yeah. kind of rebu rebuking people that have walked away from, from Christ and gone back to the lesser law of Moses. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that, uh, by the way, I'm just going to say this. Uh, verse 12, uh, it's pretty strong language. It's really been softened by the King James uh, translators. But he's saying, essentially, all you, uh, you Christians, 
well, let's just read it. Chapter 5, verse 11. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would that they were even cut off, which trouble you. And that's that, that, to me, is a translation that the King James editors have, or the translators have definitely softened. Um, I just want to introduce a couple, this is strong language, but I think this really gets to the essence of Paul. So there's a lot of places that you can pull this from, but I'm just going to read to you uh, the New Testament, a translation for Latter-day Saints by Thomas Wayman. You can buy it at Deseret Book. I highly recommend it. It's another translation, but this isn't the only place. I mean, in the Greek, if you go to the Greek, Paul's saying something else. So I'm just going to read this to you. Uh, and like I said, this is strong language. You're not going to hear this in conference. Here it is, 5, 11, and 12. But if I, brothers and sisters, will preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who trouble you would castrate themselves. What essentially Paul's saying, his argument is, these Jewish Christians are so focused on circumcision, if that's really, if that's the gospel, then I wish you guys would just do this <laughs> intense operation. Not stop that. Yeah, Paul, is, this is very caustic language because to Paul, following Jesus is a freedom. It's a liberty. It's not, it's not going back to the old ways. And like I said, bless the King James translators. They've changed it to mean, oh, well, I wish they were cut off or cut off from the church. Um, Thomas Wayman writes this. He says, these verses... Uh, preserve Paul's rudest comment in all of his letters. So this is this is Paul at his raw, rawest. And it demonstrates the passion he felt about the topic of living a new life in, in Christ and leaving behind a life in the law of Moses. Some older translations attempted to soften the language by insinuating that Paul was encouraging that the agitator, agitators in Galatia be cut off from fellowship in the church. But the verb clearly implies self-castration. So... There it is. There's Paul, and like I said, you're not gonna you're not gonna read that in a lot of places. But he's pretty fired up about this this con, this bone of contention. Do I have to be Jews, G, G, Jewish to follow Jesus, or um, can I follow Jesus? And then what does it mean to my Jewishness? And that's another question that that is going to be addressed in Acts and throughout the text because there's a lot of people coming in. Paul's reaching out to these Gentiles, and they don't have those Jewish connections. And so to our listeners, just think about the church in the history of the church as it's grown and think of the ocean as the ocean comes into the sea and it kind of makes this, or as the ocean comes into the sand, as it makes this froth where the sand and the ocean is, are kind of mixing. Any of you listeners out there that have experienced this, where there's a culture that's brought into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that mixing can be kind of painful, and there's lots of ways. It could be a racial distinction or some kind of a, a class distinction or even language. But I think this is, the, this is one of the challenges of religion is how do we incorporate differences and, and move forward in oneness? And how do we make sure our culture doesn't become a problem with our faith? Because quite often we bring from our culture things that we impose upon our faith that aren't necessarily part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And yeah, so yeah. to take this bigger than what Paul's dealing with here, you've allowed the culture of the law of the schoolmaster 
to come into your Christianity. But the whole point of the law was to lead you to Christ and leave the law behind you. Yeah. But you've brought the culture of it in. And so, so many times we find culture really is a problem. That, uh, you know, the, the culture of the United States during the years of slavery. Mm. How do you bring that into the church? How do you not bring that into the church? What happens if you do? And so these are real issues that Paul's dealing with in their day and we're dealing with in our day is how do we make sure our culture doesn't necessarily afflict our Christianity and our faith? And Paul's saying, look, sometimes it's better to just cut the culture off. If you're going to do that, you might as well just cut yourself because he's simply saying it's not benefiting. He talks so much about bondage and, 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 and letting go. You're going back to bondage. And so some of the bigger questions that we would ask today are, when have we as a people allowed our culture or you know, those types of things to come in and affect our faith? Yeah. Um, it's interesting because you mentioned how he talks about bondage and faith and he talks about, uh, you know, what they're coming out of here. Here's a thought and it's in, um, it's right here. It's in, uh, Galatians four. So if I had to sum up Galatians four, and this is what Bryce is talking about, his whole argument, Paul is taking a very, uh, traditional story in Judaism, the story of Hagar and the story of Sarah. And if you read Galatians four, what he's saying is that Hagar, which was, the wife of Abraham that has Ishmael and he doesn't get the covenant, he says, that's the law of Moses. And he says things like, uh, well, I'll just read verse 22. He says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by the bondmaid and the other by the free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he that was of the free woman was by the promise. These things are an allegory. So what he's saying, and I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but you can at home, is he's just making this notion or he's making this case that uh, Judaism was bondage and that Christianity is freedom. And this, Bryce, and I don't know, you are a master at this, so maybe you can take this. I think this kind of comes down to motives. Like, why do I serve Jesus? And to Paul, I think Jesus is not a God of rules as much as he is a God of um, of the spirit to motivate us to have a, a way to change the world and to affect a good, uh, I don't even know how to say it, to, uh, to make the world better. And our motive is love, not this punishing gospel, this rules, this, you can say it better than I can. I thought a lot about this and I thought, you know, Sarah was a willing participant in the covenant. Hagar was pulled in. She didn't have a choice in it. Yeah. She's a servant, and so she's pulled in. So Ishmael kind of represents the covenant being forced upon you. No one would choose to live the law of Moses. It's certainly not fun. <laughs> it's certainly not fun. It's kind of one thing that, you know, okay, this is the way we are. This is our tradition. And, but Christianity, Paul says, is my choice. And I think that poses a really interesting thought for Latter-day Saints is, are you a Mormon by tradition or are you a Mormon by choice? That is good. Because if you're a Mormon by tradition, then you're Hagar. And you're being pulled in and you're, you're allowing the tradition to mold you rather than a free will choice. See, Sarah was a free participant in the covenant. And so sometimes... 
it's a blessing and a curse to be born and raised in the church. It is. It's a blessing to have the gospel handed to you and not have to struggle for so many years, um, to have the Holy Ghost when you're eight years old and all of those wonderful blessings. But at the same time, if we're not careful, we become Hagar. And the gospel is just imposed upon us like the law of Moses was imposed Mm -hmm. upon us. And it's just something we do. We go through the motions without necessarily having it change me. And Paul, I think one of the things he's trying to say is don't let the bondage of the tradition determine your actions. Let the free choice find Jesus for yourself. One of my favorite words in the Book of Mormon is comes from Nephi where he says, I glory in plainness, I glory in truth, I glory in my Jesus. I like that. And I wonder how many times, you know, youth in the church, it's my mom's Jesus. It's my dad's Jesus. My parents make me go to church. That's right. It's the church's Jesus. I believe in the church's Jesus. And Paul kind of refers to that as bondage. You're under bondage. Yeah. You've allowed yourself to just go with the flow, and these things are just kind of dumped on you when is he going to be your jesus that's good when is he all of a sudden going to be when are you going to be a willing participant in the covenant when are you going to be sarah and step forward and say you know what i want this covenant he is my jesus this is my church i think there's a defining moment in the book of mormon for the stripling warriors they became stripling warriors when they assembled themselves. Yeah, they chose it. It, it wasn't, wasn't their mommy and daddy yes. saying, come on, guys, you got to go fight for us. What verse is that in? You probably have it's it. Alma 53. I love that you just know that. Yeah, so Alma I remember we talked about this 16. one time. They had many sons who hadn't entered into the covenant, yeah. and they did assemble themselves. And I think that kind of is the spirit of what Galatians is trying to say is, you foolish members of the church who have allowed your culture and your traditions to define who you are. You might as well just cut those traditions off because they're not doing what they were intended. The schoolmaster was supposed to lead you to a willing participant in the covenant. And so Paul is saying, be like, don't be like Hagar where the covenant was imposed upon you. Be like Sarah, who was a willing participant. Make him your Jesus. I remember you talked about that one time with me, Alma 53 and how they assembled themselves. And can I just mention this? That is so applicable in so many places. And you had an impact on my parenting. I had a son where I wanted to kind of, and you know where I'm going with this, where I wanted to kind of mold him along. And for me, my relationship changed with him when I said, you know what, it's gotta be his decision. And what happened for me was I thought, in my mind, this is how I applied it, but I think that's how Heavenly Father works with me. He wants, he's like, Mike, I want you to do these things, but it's gotta be your choice. This is such a powerful parenting principle. Um, I, I wanna mention this too, and then maybe come back to this, I'm not sure, but you know the idea of the, the, the law was a schoolmaster, right? Yeah. And in some of our manuals, it, ta- it kind of shows it as a, as a box. Like you step up a box and you stand on it and you're standing on the 613 laws of Torah, which is to get you to like the celestial law. 
And if you think about the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, that, you know, they say in old time this, but I say unto you this. And he's always quoting Moses, but then he brings us to a higher law. And that's traditionally how we teach it as it's a schoolmaster or training wheels to get us to a higher law. And to our listeners, I just want to introduce this Greek idea and you can take it or you can reject it. But I think, I think this is what Paul's saying. I don't think he's saying that. Um, the word is uh, pedagog pedagogos, it's a fun Greek word, in Galatians 3, 24 and 25. And those of you that are, you know, know English, this idea of paid or ped, child, uh, this, this, this notion of teaching children. But the pedagogos or the schoolmaster in Greece was actually not a good person. Um, if you were learning, say you were learning Greek and you were learning how to say the words and you have to memorize all these charts, the school, and I have a picture of this, maybe we'll put it up. It shows a picture of the schoolmaster with a stick. And when you would say the word wrong, Bryce, guess what he did? He hit you in the head or hit you on the back with the stick. And as the idea of the schoolmaster was when you mess up, we're going to hit you. And we're going to keep hitting you until you get it right. And that is the image that Paul's using for the law. I, I'm sorry, but I just think that's funny. Yeah, well, <laughs> and the funny thing is it's it's the... Jerusalem, it's the New Testament version of the law because, see, the Nephites had the law of Moses and never did turn it into a schoolmaster. They were very quick to say, hey, this whole thing's about Jesus, yeah. and I have found Jesus. Yeah. This, the law of Moses helped me find Jesus. And so different I, approach. Different approach. Yeah. So can you find the Savior in whatever system you've got, or does the system all of a sudden take on a life of its own and become this mean little, that's the schoolmaster <laughs> to, I think Paul was talking with a stick about. hitting you in the head. I know we sit here laugh, but, but Mike, how many Latter-day Saints think that that's what the church is today? Like, I got to be sucking on a lemon and have this, like, stern look on my face or else I'm not religious. That's what they think. that you, They think the church is to slap your hand, yeah. you know, get you in trouble when you don't do it right. And the whole idea is the church has one function. And that's to get Christ into your life. Do you remember the story? You probably know it better than I do. you remember the story where this woman sees Joseph and he's smiling and he's laughing and he's wrestling with his kids? Can you tell that and story? she leaves the church. Yeah, yeah. Can you? She walks away because she kind of the idea is that's not how I expected a prophet to act. Yeah. And Jesus, Joseph kind of, he rebuked a lot of people saying, if you expect something that I'm not, if you expect more than just an ordinary man, you're, you're, you don't understand the whole process. That's you, such you a don't cool get story. It. Joseph one time dressed up like a ruffian. And went down to the docks as you know, saints were getting off to live in Nauvoo. And he said, you know, who are you looking for? I'm here to find the prophet Joseph Smith. What if I said I was a prophet Joseph Smith? Well, then I would think you were a prophet. Yeah. And then he took off the mask and said, well, good. Because if you expect anything more than a man, you're not going to find that. And, and he likes to have fun. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the idea is, you know, let's not let the church become a schoolmaster. In our hearts, let's not let it be this mean, overbearing, you've got to get to church and you've got to stay in your church clothes all day. And the idea is let's get Jesus into our lives. Yeah. Because when he comes into his li our lives, he brings grace and hope and help and we love him. And, and Paul is, that's really what Paul's trying to do here. He kind of ends that way, doesn't he? Yeah. Like he starts off yelling at him. I'm sorry, I can't read Galatians other than he's fired up and he's yelling at him and he's using this really harsh language. I mean, if Paul 
what Paul's saying, if that was in conference, the media coverage would be intense, right? And we don't talk like that. And thank goodness for the King James translators, but I think he does end on a happy, happy Well, note. he ends with, let's get Christ into our lives. And if you do, this is how you'll act. Yeah. That last chapter is, this is how Christ acts. And so it really is a great opportunity to ask ourselves some questions. What role does the church or does religion play in my life? Is it an evil taskmaster that slaps my hands when I do wrong? Or is it a gentle, loving nursemaid who leads me to freedom and happiness because I found Jesus and Jesus saves me? Yeah, that's good. Well, uh, this will probably be short. I don't know. Is there any? Is there anything? If you don't that... mind, let me do one more thing. Yeah, right? yeah, totally. I, I just I, I want to take this in a way, and I, I I hope I don't offend anyone. But where are we going? We uh, back to or, um, back to Galatians, but go to chapter five. Okay. There are a lot of people leaving the church today, like Paul's kind of criticizing people leaving the church back then. And, and I, I love what he does in chapter 5, where he talks about, examine your motives and where you're going. A lot, a, a lot of us allow other people to influence us and pull us away from truth. And Paul gives in chapter 5 just a wonderful test. Now, I know some people, not all people leave the church because the natural man wants to be freed. But there are people who leave the gospel because the natural man in them wants to be freed. And so Paul in this chapter 5 kind of just, he gives us this test. What's motivating your behavior? Is it the spirit or is it the natural man? Um, do these ideas appeal to your spirit or your natural man? I remind everyone why Korahor started to leave and to teach false doctrine. An angel of darkness came and taught him truths, and he said that those truths were appealing to the carnal mind. And so sometimes our mind wraps around something that is appealing to the carnal mind, and it pulls us away from spiritual things. So Paul, in verse 16, says, Walk in the Spirit, and don't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Now here's how you can tell. So the problem is, in verse 17, The flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary. Ideas are going to come into our heads that appeal to the natural man, are going to want the natural man to free itself from what it considers the bondage of the spiritual man. Ideas are going to come into our head that appeal to the spiritual man, which is going to want him to cage the natural man, to put it off, to crucify it, as Paul says. And that war is raging inside each one of us. Do we allow the animal to control us or do we allow the spirit to cage the animal? Because kind of the spirit of the gospel is if you don't learn to master the natural man, the, match, the natural man will master you. And so Paul gives us a great test in verse 19. He says, look, if what's influencing you is leading to Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, hatred, emulations, very, I mean, being at variance with others, strife, heresies. You're being motivated by the natural man. And maybe a self-check would allow you to say, wow, that's not the direction I want to go. I don't want my natural man to cage my spirit. 
I want my spirit to cage my natural man. So, kind of like King Benjamin's address. Exactly what yeah. the Book of Mormon is trying to say yeah. is examine your motives. It's kind of like Alma in chapter 5. Oh, he's asking all them those questions. all these questions to say, okay, what's motivating you? And where are you yeah. going? And where are you today? Where are you today? Yeah. Is the animal inside you winning? Is the spirit inside you winning? Yeah. Because if the animal wins, it'll cage the spirit. In order for the spirit to totally win, it's going to have to cage the animal. You can't go to the celestial kingdom and, ha and hold on to the natural man. And so Paul says, okay, here are the fruits of the spirit. Verse 22, here's where spiritual things will lead. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Those are the things of the Spirit. They gravitate to peace and comfort and joy. So I think Paul's given us a great test to say, okay, some of you are being motivated by doctrines that are appealing to the natural man. Look where that natural man is leading you. Some of you are being, you know, some of, there are doctrines who appeal to the Spirit. And you can tell the difference. Yeah. Because doctrines that appeal to the Spirit will gravitate to love and peace and goodness. That's the fruit, he says. That's the fruit. And things of the natural man will gravitate to anger and being at variance and contention. And, and so which one is motivating you? And I just, I love that in Galatians. In the middle of all of this contention between the law and, and, and bondage and Christ, it's which one is motivating you? Is the natural man calling the shots and yeah. caging the spirit? Or is the spirit calling the shot, shots and caging the spirit? So I, I like just that. wanted to throw that one in there. That's very applicable. And I think that's something that if you were teaching your children, you could talk about that. And you could talk about the circumstances your kids are in and say, okay, when you did this, could you, can you feel the difference? Well, we had a colleague who shared an experience about how he was on a bus and he felt prompted to talk to some kids about some things. And he says, I felt prompted and really good things happened. And I came home and I told my dad and my dad said, that's the spirit. That's, that's how you can identify it. And I think if we have conversations with our kids and help them see how the spirit works in their life, they can see this fruit. Yeah. They can see it. And okay, I just want to make this a little plug for the temple. I also see the temple in verses 22 to the end of chapter yeah. five. Um, and here's, here's my, and it's my own Mike Day weirdness, but the verse 22, the fruit, well, where do you get the fruit? The fruit's on the tree. And the Bible begins and ends with a tree. And the whole center of Nephi's visionary experience is this tree. And in First Temple Judaism, there is this tree that represents God and his glory. And there's a lot of literature on this. This, this idea of a representation of holiness is coming to this tree. And I think Paul's you. I really taking of it. and taking it. Yeah. And I love one thing you said to me. I I don't know if you remember this, but it was so profound. Do you remember the people? We'll do this more when we do Book of Mormon next year. But they leave the tree and they go to the building. And you said something that I'll never forget. And you said the memory of the taste of the fruit isn't enough. We have to be eating the fruit. And I think the challenge of Christianity is we got to eat it all the time. Right. Anyway, just a thought. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's funny how Paul can be upset and still at the same time manifest some of those man the the fruit. Yeah. You know. He's he's clearly upset in this epistle, and yet 
I, I, I love I love chapter four, verse nineteen, my little children of whom I travail in birth against <laughs> again until Christ be formed in you. Yeah. I mean, as angry as it is, yeah. you can see fruits of the spirit in his desires because he clearly loves and cares and wants what's best for these people. And that's one of the ways you tell that my life in my life, I am gravitating to the things of the spirit. Well, that tells me that the spirit is caging the natural man. Yeah, and you know, so even in a chat, even in a book where Paul is showing a little anger and feistiness, yeah. boy, you sure see his motive is love. I and like a that. desire to change. So. I like that. That's good. Good. So have love as your motivation. Yeah. And find Jesus. Make him your Jesus. Yeah. Don't make him the church's Jesus or mom and dad's Jesus. You're more a bondman when you do that. Make him your Jesus. Find him and love him. And I just leave you with my witness that I have found him and I love him. Oh. And he is my Jesus. And I shout his praises every day I possibly can because he has liberate, he has freed me and saved me in so many ways. Amen. Thanks, Bryce. We will see you next time. All right. Thanks, Mike. We're out.